Okay, welcome everybody to the very first episode, which I'm uh, pleased to say is about a very interesting guy. So, Matt Miller, he, aka Tree Kiwi, that's his gamer tag. Uh, Matt's from New Zealand, and he's uh, actually living in Sweden. And I came across Matt when he was the community manager, so that means he handles all the community stuff and does the live streams from a one of my favourite games I like playing, which is Hunter Call of the Wild, which is a hunting sim. And, um, yeah, it's just something about Matt. I don't know. I just uh, just really liked him. He's just a really personable kind of guy. And I started following him through, uh, yeah, Hunter Call of the Wild about probably four or five years ago now. And we sort of chatted a little bit um, on streams and stuff. But it's like, you know, it's hard to get in. Uh, he's such a, He was such a busy guy and... You know, I initially contacted him at the start of the year and said, hey, man, like, I'd really like to do a podcast with you. Um, and it just, the way things were going in his life, he was in a bit of a transition period with work and he's setting up a new business and all that kind of stuff. So I just, you know, I didn't rush it. I just knew when the time was right, we'll get it done. And um, sure enough, he ended up... Um, deciding to leave expansive worlds which is you know one of the biggest gaming companies in the world really and um <clears throat> pardon me decided to move off and do his own stuff so yeah and he's uh, the, the other interest is uh bow hunting obviously something i'm getting into or getting back into now the last couple of years and matt's a big bow hunter so he's started a youtube channel uh he's got a show um it's called meat hunters so look them up on YouTube and socials and also Miller Bow Hunting for any uh, hunters out there. He's basically set up a guiding business, which we talk about in the podcast. Um, so yeah, millersbowhunting.com, pretty sure that is. I'll put the link in the description anyway. But yeah, look that up. And um, if anyone's interested in hunting in Europe, which is kind of interesting because he talks about it in the podcast, it's a... It's a relatively new thing, really. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity over there, uh, hunting red deer and lap deer and all sorts of stuff. So hopefully at some point in the next couple of years, I'll be heading over myself and I'll be hooking up with Matt. But, yeah, I actually, I really enjoyed this one. Um, and it's it taught me something about podcasts because I've only done a few already. Um, and it really sort of taught me to um, just let it go wherever it's going to go and you don't always you know you have a run sheet and you have stuff planned out but you know when you get uh, interesting people like matt on here uh, um you know a kiwi living in sweden bow hunting for a living um <laughs> you know you don't really kind of know and you have a yeah so i felt like i was getting better this is actually the third or fourth one i recorded and um yeah i definitely learned just let the conversation go sort of where it wants to go and yeah, since then, Matt and I have actually become friends. I would class him as a mate for sure. And it was interesting because after we finished recording this, we turned it off. That's when the juicy stuff kind of came out. Um, but yeah, and look, we talked for about another hour. We talked for two hours on podcast and then about another hour, hour and a half after that. And look, I understand that. There's a lot of stuff people don't want to say on there. And, um, you, you know, I'm the same. But yeah, it just kind of showed me that you know, I, I recognised early on when I started following him, like he's a guy who kind of fell out of the same tree as me, hit a few different branches on the way down, but he's just a fucking all-round top bloke, just a genuine guy who's just got a passion for life and 
He's got a very interesting story to tell, so I really hope you enjoy this one. This is Tree Kiwi, a.k.a. Matt Miller. Uh, is it Ira or Era? Yeah, Ira. Yeah, Ira, it I... is, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, um, I should have explained that to you before, but it's um, all good. I heard you once on a stream uh, asking me, and I was like, oh, it's too hard when there's all other people and that in there. Anyway. Yeah, that's all good. No worries. So, um, so how, how's things anyway, mate? All right? Yeah, bloody good. Bloody good. Just Pretty uh, busy. Yeah, it's um, like next week it gets hectic. You're going to go to Latvia for a month, basically, back-to-back bookings. So that'll be yeah. good. Nice to see some red deer head in the ground, hopefully, anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, well, um, we'll get to that because obviously I want to ask you about that. And, yeah, that's um, cool. You probably, well, you obviously don't know as well that I'm actually – or half Latvian. My dad was Latvian. Um, yeah, he was from Riga and all that. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely keen to because um, I didn't actually know that um, you know uh, that kind of hunting was illegal, so to speak. But yeah, we'll get to that anyway. Um, so I, what I want to do is the reason I asked you on obviously is because, um, and I should tell you what my podcast is about. Um, yeah. So. About two years ago, uh, long story in my life, we won't get into that, but yeah, um, that's right. about two years ago, I had a heart attack at 40, 48. Oh, Jesus. Um, okay, yeah. And it was it was very interesting experience because um, it, uh, I don't know how to describe it all, but it's, you'd be amazed what it does to you. Um, and, and it's more of a mental injury in some ways than a physical one. Um, but what it did was it sort of, forced me you know to like get my shit together basically yeah. because you know you're kind of just cruising along in life i was 48 yeah. i'm about to turn 50 and um you know a lot of people were saying to me oh you're doing so well now and all the rest of it but i tell them like, i say man a gun to the head is wonderful motivation like trust yeah me. for sure and and what it did was it kind of made me realize like when i and i won't talk about all my life now but Man, I've had a fucking crazy life. Like, I won't go into it. <laughs> yeah. But it's been insane. And it kind of made me realize that, um, like, what am I going to leave behind in a way? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's my footprint sort of going to be? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been lucky enough in my life to also meet a lot of extraordinary type of people. Um, and, well, when I say extraordinary, really what they are is unordinary if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, I know what so you mean. Not they, don't, they don't fit the mould, right? Yeah, and I, I see you as one of those kind of people, you know, and I also see you, and the main reason I asked you on is because I see you as kind of like an inspirational type of person. <laughs> okay. And, and and yeah, I know you I know you think that you're probably like just an ordinary kind of guy. And, yep. You know, um, but I, you know, during that last, couple of years like i actually took a lot of inspiration from from you and you know because you know a lot of people talk the talk and all the rest of it and one thing i've sort of found you know i've been on this like crazy journey in the last couple of years to kind of figure all my shit out so to speak yeah and one thing i've realized is that there's a big difference between the people who say that they're going to do things and the people who are actually out there doing oh, it. Oh, man, it frustrates the, the, the bejesus out of me, put it that way. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly what and, I'm talking about. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I saw yours. One of those persons, like, fuck, he's a dude, right? Who's he's actually out there. He's actually getting it done, so to speak. And and that's kind of the yeah, that's kind of the premise behind my podcast. So you know, it's a couple of things. It's about inspiring people, but it's about talking to people that are actually, you know, really, really getting it done, sort of thing. So yeah. So we'll start, what I want to do is kind of get to know you a little bit better as well, because, um, yeah, so I have, I should to explain for the listeners as well that, so how I came across you is obviously through Hunter Call of the Wild, yep. um, which we'll get to like a bit later as well, we'll talk about that. Um, yep. And, um, you know, I, same thing, I, I guess I was like, here's a guy who's kind of come from my part of the world. You know, being a Kiwi, obviously, um, Australian, we're kind of like, you know, brothers, brothers and sisters, I guess. Brothers, brothers, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I was like, how the hell did this guy end up in Europe and, <laughs> you know, working for a, a gaming company? So, yeah, we won't ruin all that or get to all that. That's so, all basically, right. but... I have, know, I, thought, to, I have to ask, too, yeah. how G-rated is this? Like, you know... Oh, yes, do... I was actually, I was about to say, yeah. Um, so, basically, you can say whatever you like. Okay. Um, it's an adult podcast. It'll be on Spotify <laughs> That's only. Cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can swear, you can say whatever you like. It's it's kind of adult content. The other thing is, um, if there's anything that you don't want to talk about, that's fine as well. You can just say. Yeah, that's all right. It shouldn't. I mean, it shouldn't be anything, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty open cool. and honest about everything, so you know. Yeah, the only, that's kind of what I figured. The only thing I won't be able to say uh, talk about, obviously, is anything that's like under NDA from Expansive Worlds. Yeah. But I don't think that's going to be a a thing anyway. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. So what I, what I would like to start with is, um, so you're obviously a Kiwi, so I was wondering if you could sort of tell us a bit about, um, yeah, where you where you grew up and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sweet as. So I was born in uh, Wellington, um, and uh, we stayed there till I was about two, I think, and then we moved down to Nelson, actually, which is the top of the South Island, <clears throat> and... Um, we stayed there until I was about five. Dad has been involved in, uh, like, as a loss adjuster for insurance companies for a long time. And they opened a branch up in Wellington. And so we flew back up to Wellington again, actually. Uh, and then it all basically, that, that kind of fell apart for my dad, unfortunately. Um, nothing to do with him, just to do with the, the corporate business that it was, it was in. Um, and then, so that kind of put us on our... Butts for a little bit, I think, and and I think, uh, yeah, I don't know how, how how deep you want to get into things, but I think like that kind of was probably quite a big turning point in my life because uh, all of a sudden money got quite tight and stuff, and um, had uh, a sister at that stage too, and then another brother on the way, and things like that, and um, I think it's probably true for. Uh, yeah, like I said, again, I don't really know how how much detail you want me to get into. I'll try and I'll try and do it. In a, I'll, I'll try and do it in a nutshell, right? But um, yeah. you can I, go I, into as much detail as you like. That's yeah, fine, or yeah, not. Yeah. yeah, that's all right. No, it's it's all good. And um, we had um, you know we had had a, had a few little sort of tough times coming up, um, and then we moved out to a place called Macra in uh, southwest um, Wellington, which is a little rural town, and um, by all accounts, it was quite uh, insular, I suppose. <laughs> when we when yeah. we moved there, you know, we were like the city people, and uh, used to get, uh, you know, b- 
picked on and bullied all the time, basically for being a city kid and and all that other stuff. And then um, one of uh, actually, I'm, maybe I'm getting the timing a little bit wrong of things, but another one of Dad's jobs fell over unfortunately while we were out there. Um, again, it's just like I, I I don't really sure. I've never really asked him why, to be honest. But I think maybe something happened within the insurance world at the time where a few few things closed down so he ended up getting a, a portable sawmill to uh, create some more income for the family and stuff like that um, and so I spent a lot of time in my childhood in the in the weekends like dragging <laughs> lumps of timber off the end of the sawmill and stuff like that and kind of getting uh, exposed to that uh, sort of world and it, it was okay because I'd always kind of like farming and hunting and stuff like that like I have a lot of um um well actually on both sides of the family on my mum and my dad's there's a lot of uh like orchard owners and farmers and stuff like that and I spent a lot of time up in Oakuni there at my um it's my second cousin's place um they grow carrots and swedes and they got a deer farm and things up there too well they had a deer farm they don't anymore so like I didn't really mind it uh to be honest, but uh, obviously, like I think most kids still would probably rather be out playing with their friends and stuff. But um, yeah, yeah. So roughly, so how old were you at this stage? Uh, sawmill was about nine, I think nine or ten, uh, nine or ten, something okay. like that. I think, yeah. So, um, you know, and I remember, especially at the start, you know, some of the bigger slabs, um dad having to stop and help me pull pull them off you know they're too freaking heavy yeah. but uh yeah i mean it's kind of funny uh to maybe uh, you, you know you're talking about too about reevaluating your life but i still wouldn't change any of that stuff because i think like that has benefited me now for work ethic and i actually i really honestly think most people have no idea what hard work actually is and, yeah. you know, like that actually, looking back on everything I've done now, isn't hard work. It's just physical. And um, uh, and the hard part being was that I wasn't really very strong at nine years old. You know, I was, I think when I was 13, it was like 150 centimeters or something and, you know, 48 kgs ringing wet or something. So I wasn't a, a big lad. Um, so, Yeah. Uh, and obviously okay. just had to help out otherwise dad couldn't make money so um well, yeah i find that very interesting everything you just said there because you've actually kind of cut to the chase of what i was sort of um going to ask you and you've answered it already in terms of like you know i'm going to ask you do you think that your childhood being a bit tougher a bit harder do you think that you know helped shape you later and obviously you, you kind of answered that and that's it's one thing I realized through my heart attack too, that um, as humans, we, we like to make everything comfortable and we like to make everything easy. But I've actually realized that easy's not very, very good for us. No, you know? it's really not. It, it, it's like, I'll give you a quick example. Like one thing I learned about, you know, obviously your heart's like a muscle, right? Mm-hmm. We just don't move around enough, right? We just yeah. don't do enough steps. So before heart attack, right? You go to the supermarket and you park right near the door, right? Mm-hmm. After heart attack, you go to the supermarket and you park in the car park that's the furthest away from the door. Yeah. Because you're trying to get your steps up. Um, yeah. You're trying to like, you know, exercise and recover. So, yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. And the other thing is 
interesting about that too. I think it's that the fact that you have the ability to be objective and to be able to realize, you know, because a lot of people, you ask them about the childhood and they'll say it wasn't fun, it was tough. And look, um, that's kind of pretty typical of most Aussies and most Kiwis, really. Mm-hmm. Like, not too many people I know, especially successful people, have, have come up and, you know, had it all easy all the way. So, I find that interesting that you, you, you recognize that's sort of what shaped you really. Yeah. I mean, I remember one time, um, my, yeah, I mean, like, I, like, I, like I love my dad and I love my family and stuff like that too. And, you know, every family's got the problems stuff. And, and I think dad would, I don't even know if you'll listen to this. He'd probably agree though, but for some reason he was always harder on me than the other two, like much more so. Um, and I've never really asked him why, to be honest. But like, I remember I had a friend over one one day, and the friend turned up, and my dad came out and gave us crowbars and told me that I had to go and dig a fence post, a couple of fence posts, and because he wanted to put a sign up the next day. And like, we yeah. uh, live on like clay, a clay hill basically, so you have to fucking chip the hole out of the ground. You know what I mean? Like, you break like yeah. a layer, and then you get the spade out and. Um, and then the irony of that is we put the posts in that day and the sign didn't go up for like 10 years. I'm not even joking. There were two posts sitting in the driveway for 10 years. Um, so yeah, it's just things like, I don't really understand why he did that sort of stuff. And like, I always had to buy or borrow money from them to, to get whatever I wanted you know, uh, uh, and where like my sister had horses paid for her the whole, her whole life. My brother had motocross bikes and, uh, speedway cars. And, you know, I like just these things I don't really understand. And it took me, you were talking about, you had a, like a big reflection and I've done the same too, but mine was actually after a big breakup I had with a, uh, a girl that we've been going out together five years and, um, Oh, fuck, man, that's a really long story. But um, short, short-term short nutshell is I sometimes get a bit of depression and stuff, but I don't always realize that I am depressed. Uh, and um, I was playing EVE online, actually. I don't know if you've played that. But I was, like, fully addicted to it. But the reason I was in, uh, addicted to it, actually, was because I was kind of using it to hide from some real-life stuff that was going on instead of, like, but but again, I only realized the stuff afterwards. Like at the time, you know, I didn't didn't know know any of the stuff. Um, and anyway, basically, what happened is I ended up pushing us apart, like our relationship apart, because of this um, this game. Obviously, uh, like I was just fully addicted to it. It was affecting my work a little bit and stuff like that too. Um, and then, um, yeah, basically, we broke up because I thought I didn't love her anymore like that's what I just said look I, I don't think uh, we had to talk about kids and stuff like that and I wanted to move to Australia she didn't really want to move to Australia and uh, then she said okay we'll go to Australia but if we're going to have kids we have to do it back in New Zealand you know and in my brain I was like oh, surely if I love this person that should be a pretty easy sac- uh, sorry sacrifice not sacrifice a uh, god damn it you know like we're making both yeah. uh my brain today but anyway yeah like i should be no, able to no, do this with a person you know like a compromise sorry that's the word compromise and i just couldn't do it i couldn't do it and i was like well fuck maybe i don't really maybe i'm not really that connected to this person but um 
kind of again it was like i actually was using australia as a reason to run away from some other stuff again like i was just really kind of unhappy in myself and a whole bunch of other bits and pieces that were going on um and then about 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 three months after we broke up i was in australia by myself i had started working out and stuff like that and i kind of like broke out of the depression without meaning to you know what i mean it was like exercise is really good for you and stuff and i was like oh my fucking god what an idiot but it was too late of course you know and and full play for her for not taking me back to it would have been not a good thing i think still um but uh like i even flew back over to new zealand to go and see her for a weekend to talk to her and stuff like that you know so um but well, i find that interesting as well because um i can't look i, I you know i the black dog has been part of my life for a long time. And mm-hmm. I kind of picked up just following you on your streams that that was something that also affected you, but it's not easy to ask somebody, you know, uh, no, hey, and you, it's, you know, it's, you. it's not chronic either is the thing is, is like, it just is like a day, you know, a day or two here or there. Yeah. And, um, you know, usually these days I'm pretty good at, at sorting it out. And it is always when I don't, I start, uh, I go through like a few like sort of self-destructive uh, <laughs> patterns where like I'll stay up too late at night and stuff like that. And then obviously got kids. Yeah. So I wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning and like five hours of sleep for five days in a row is not good for me at all. It makes me a bad person. Um, and that kind That's of com- pretty common. That compounds problems for me too because I start feeling bad about myself because, you know, like I'll have a shorter temper with the kids and it's not their fault. And stuff like that and me realizing that makes me feel worse about myself too do you know what i mean so yeah exactly um, and and that the addiction to the game is that that's just a coping mechanism correct that's all that is yeah 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 it's very it's very common uh yeah. between and look you know when when we talk about depression and stuff like that it's there's no is what i say to people there's no like everybody's at a different level and some people have it frequently and yeah you know but I do, I do think especially in the modern age most humans at some point are gonna bump into it so yeah i find that interesting that you already you know kind of recognize what was going on there yeah well like i had a uh a period of my teen years because uh actually i kind of jumped a bit which I've jumped quite a bit. I guess we go back a little bit, but I started college oh, and then I had the reverse. Okay. Cause like when I was in uh, country school there, I was a city kid. Right. And got bullied on all the time like that. You know, you, you're not a local, you're not from around here. Like, you know, it's shit like that. And obviously kids yeah. are fucking brutal. And then the opposite happened. When I went to college, I was the country boy in the fucking <laughs> city college. And I was like for two years straight, just called sheep shagger and like bullied the fuck like every single day you know um and it actually uh put me like really in in my head like it was really weird i really like lived in my this is gonna sound really weird but lived in my brain the whole time i don't know if that makes sense to you or not i know exactly what you're saying because i don't really look i don't want to be talking about myself too much no that's right you but a similar thing happened to me you know, when I was in primary school, I was like the lowest common denominator. I got bullied a lot and yep. kicked around. And then I moved states and then I went to a a boarding school where all of a sudden it was complete opposite, right? And yeah. I was just like one of the normal kids. And, yeah. you know, all the all the girls liked me and all this kind of stuff. And I went and it was a bit like, 
kid in the candy store, but I didn't yeah. know how to regulate, you know, don't eat too much candy. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. But there, yeah, it's really weird, eh? Um, but, but you know, I hear what you're saying, um, especially what you're saying about living in your, in your own brain. The same thing. That's a very, it's a very common thing for people to say yeah. about that. Yeah. So you're it's... at college. Yeah. Anyway, and then, get, yeah, and then so and then after that? so uh, I think it was just before we call it fifth form. So just before you start fit, uh, setting your first serious kind of exams and stuff, I just had a had enough actually, and I fucking broke and I tackled this guy in the library and like pinned him to the ground. I didn't hit him, but I just started fucking going nuts at him, you know. But he was bigger yeah. than me, and he like rolled me off and he pinned me down. He didn't punch me either. But from that moment on, like, he never picked on me again. He he kind of realized, you know, like, I think there was, like, some respect there. And then uh, a couple of other people, too, is, like, and this is the thing is, like, I don't advocate violence at all, but sometimes I think there's, like, justified violence, you know what I mean? And, like, yeah, sure. I will be advocating this to my kids, too, is, is that, you know, you don't unjustly punch or hit anyone like that but there is a breaking point for everybody and i tell you what after that moment i may not have won every fight but i never got picked on again like i started uh you know like there were a couple of people i did crack in the jaw and stuff like that um and uh it's uh like i say it's like i don't think i won those fights i don't think there was any really a winner but they didn't pick on me again because i wasn't an easy target all of a sudden yeah um and like i think that uh you know to be honest with you i think like a society needs a little bit more of this kind of tolerance in there um because we are well this whole thing is like we're just animals right and um, we're just complex animals and you know this sort of stuff happens in nature as well people don't understand that but like you know wolves and dogs and stuff bite each other and draw blood you know what I mean? Like, and, and kill yeah. each other, actually. It's way, way worse than, than humans would do, kind of, and a lot. So, yeah, there's kind of a little bit of this stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, and anyway, and then I went, uh, and then I got an apprenticeship after college. I left halfway through my last year of um, college, which is high school. I don't know what that is in Australia. Before you go to university, you know, when you're like yep. uh, you're 17, 12, yeah. 16 or 17, whatever it is. And I went and did a horticulture apprenticeship because I really liked um, plants and stuff like that. And um, so that was with the Wellington City Council. And that was a three-year apprenticeship. Um, and then, like, one of the placements, we rotated every three months to a different kind of discipline within horticulture. And one of the disciplines was trees. Uh, and that was it. I just knew that's what I wanted to do as being an arborist, climb, you know, climbing arborist. And uh, uh, I became a bit of a pain in the ass actually because I that was all I wanted to do. And so the council put me in the tree team. Um, but they said to me that on one condition that I finished my horticulture apprenticeship. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. No worries at all. Of course, I was like, uh, shit, 18 at the time or something. And um, I didn't finish my horticulture apprenticeship <laughs> and the three month con uh, three year contract ended uh, and they did not renew it um, because I did not stick to the contractual terms. 
Um, and I was freaking devastated, like, uh, you know, just absolutely crushed. Um, and I, they gave me like a six month holdover job in a, in a cemetery, actually, it was a good experience. Uh, and then I booked myself in to do, to finish my study basically at like a polytech. It's like a, uh, te technical college, you know, right. for trade, trade school, basically TAFE, yeah. exactly TAFE, that's it. Um, and, uh, to go and do that. So as funny as like, again, it's very embarrassing that time in my life but i tell you what that that um taught me about again more work ethics and that you know like jobs and work and stuff is not a joke um you know like i was you know there's probably compounding problems on top of the fact they didn't finish my contract right because every adult knows if somebody's worth keeping on a, an employer will find a way to keep them on you know what i mean so i i think yeah. uh i think uh because I've, uh, I think I was probably a pain in the ass to, um, to manage a little bit, <laughs> not, not a little bit. I know I was because I was always, uh, you know, a bit too smart and a little bit, uh, yeah, I don't know. I was there for fun and joking more so than actually working, I suppose. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah, which is just kind of interesting. But it's like, it's a weird thing though, too, because it's a council culture. And I don't know if you've done any council work or been involved, but like the, I mean, actually, in case I was in it, the tree team there was very good. But apart from that, it was basically do the minimum, have fun, go home, get paid, right? So it like, but what they don't tell you is, is that as an apprentice, they, they don't want you to do that. Do you know what I mean? Like you're watching all your yes. superiors, you're watching all your superiors and stuff, do all this stuff. I mean, sure, we used to get a, go for beers at lunchtime and all sorts of yeah. things like that. And um, uh, yeah, and then so it was kind of weird. It's just like I was just kind of trying to fit in and blend in and stuff. But um, all that shit was actually going on my monthly reports and things too. Like, um, what is it? Like a little bit lazy, doesn't want to work, you know, kind of things like this. Um, and uh, so I think when the decision was made that I hadn't finished doing my horticulture one, I think it was just, you know, a whole bunch of stuff that told them to flick me on, which was, um, yeah, like I say, really, I was freaking devastated. Um, and I think also because actually um, one guy, Kane, who a lot of those tree guys there, I really um, were really good role models for me. And one of them just turned around to me one time and I think he was having a bad day or something, but it was again, like something I needed to hear. He just said, you're fucking useless. And I was like, what? Like, you know, this is the first time, oh. this is the first time somebody had actually said something like this to me. And he started going off. He said, he said, uh, you know, you never, uh, you stand around all the time waiting to get told what to do. I can't remember. He just fucking started machine gunning all this stuff out, you know? And I was like, kind of like, a bit angry we were driving the truck and it was quiet that whole time but again like this is like another slap in the face that i um appre appreciate now because he was he was right and i tell you what from that morning onwards like he even said like i don't know two weeks later he said you're fucking really good now <laughs> <laughs> wow you know what i mean like it's just really weird like you know because but basically like i don't know if you know about anything about arboriculture but you're only really as good as your grounds person they run all the ropes, they keep the site clean, 
they're on top of it for safety. You know what I mean? Like they're really, yes. they're, they're, they're the grease and the oil. The climbing's hard and it's technical and stuff like that, but you can't get a good fast job done if your groundsman is uh, a bit shit and useless, you know. So, um, yeah, so that was good. Uh, I don't quite know. interesting. The fact that it only took you two weeks is pretty remarkable because <laughs> uh, most people take half a lifetime to figure that shit out. Well, I mean, again, too, is, is like, it was really weird as like I had, uh, I don't, I, and I don't really know why it was like that, but like I just had like a, a wrong, I don't know, yeah, I just had this other different attitude about what work was, you know what I mean? Like, um, and yeah, well, you got you said it, said it before too, like about the council culture, because you know, we got that in Australia as well. And one of the jokes you know people make is about that kind of culture standing around holding up <laughs> signs. And you know, yeah. you're a young guy, you probably hadn't really seen oh, man, we anything were, else. Yeah, I mean, the other thing too is, is like, like really, like you say, I was young, like I think we were partying Wednesday till Saturday night, you know, so I'd yeah. be on the booze and go home and then sleep and come into work. So I probably wasn't, oh, I know, no, probably I wasn't a good person. You know what I mean? But you had you had that. Um, you obviously had that successful work culture. It was there. You just weren't practicing it. That's yet. right. That's right. I just had. I have like. I think I had all the bits. I just didn't put it all together. Does that make sense? Like. Uh, and do you think? Do you think maybe going back to talking about your dad? Do you think maybe he knew that? Mm, yeah, I really don't know. Do you think I, that's why he he treated you a bit different to the others, or not? Maybe. Yeah, I honestly don't know, and I, yeah, I don't know. I I will probably ask him one day, I guess. Um, I mean, there's a lot were more the, deep. Were you the deep oldest? Or... I am the oldest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's the other thing about it yeah. too. You know, I think yeah, the eldest yeah. always gets, um, is a bit more respected out of them. I think so. I think that makes a difference too, from a parent's point of view. Now that you're a parent too, yeah. I know you get a couple of kids. I think yeah. the first one's definitely different from the second one, you know what I mean? And you do a lot of stuff and, and then you kind of realise, well, that shit doesn't matter, that shit does matter. <laughs> so he was probably yeah. learning as he was going too, you know? Yeah, and and I mean, like, um, like I won't talk too much about uh, his side because uh, I don't think that's fair either, but, like, I know, like, his, his parents are still alive. They live in uh, Gosford, actually, um, if you know where that is on the... On, yes. Um, yeah, on, uh, just above Sydney there. And, um, but like, you know, his mum, he tells me his mum didn't, just never hugged them or never kissed them, never showed them any affection and stuff like that too. Yeah. So like, he's got some deep issues there too. Oh, you know well, what I mean? mate, uh, look, so, you know, I won't go into it now, but my childhood was full of all sorts of abuse. And it was, um, I think it was just partly because people just didn't know any better at the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we know and, a lot better now and the sharing of information and, you know, podcasts and, you know, being able to be in touch with experts. Like, it's definitely a lot easier. And, um, you know, I had the same issues with my mum. Like, I was basically abused when I was a kid and I yeah. never had anybody really, until I was about 18, 19, 20, I never had anybody kind of really tell me that I was a good person. Like, everything up until that point was just like, you're shit, you're no good. Yeah, blah blah blah, and yeah, so and, and look, I think it was a bit of a cultural thing. Yeah, and I, you know, that's the thing too is it's like I, um, oh, I don't remember when it was. Uh, I'm jumping back and forth in the timelines here, but one day I was just like, you know what, I don't need to be fucking perfect. 
And that was the thing is I always felt like, like the stress and burden of feeling like you have to be a perfect kid all the fucking time is a horrible yeah. thing to have on your shoulders. It really is. That like, sure. it just eats you up, you know, but, um, all right. So after so after college, you do an apprenticeship, uh, horticultural thing. You don't finish that. So what what happens next? So then I go down to, to Otago Polytech in Dunedin, which is in the bottom of the South Island, um, yeah. and have the best fucking year of my life. Basically, like I'm completely free of parents and kind of like what you're saying is like you just be yourself and you go into a completely new environment where people don't know you. So there's none of that back uh history with bullying or anything like that and you just kind of accept it right and it is a hardcore party culture there like in otago it's uh oh man it was like it was loose you know it was like one of those things where yeah. it's like different days you know like i don't know how many couches we set fire to that year um <laughs> like honestly i mean if anyone's listened to it they'll know like we were setting couches on fire with people sitting on them in the end um obviously we'd make sure they didn't get caught fire but it was kind of funny to see how long they before they realize that the couch is on fire before they get off the off the couch um but yeah that was awesome that was really really cool um studied arboriculture there for a year um and um i guess kind so is that, of re- is that where sorry to cut you off is yeah. that where tree kiwi came from then yeah, that's that's where the tree kiwi comes from. It's from arboriculture. Ah, yeah, so it's okay, from yep. lava trees and obviously a kiwi being kiwi. I thought um, it came from hunting stands, but there you go. <laughs> no, there we go. Yeah, actually, and, and I mean, I guess like just to catch up to you, probably know that my dad did hunting and stuff like that. So that's kind of where my and, and before all the weird stuff kind of happened with him losing his job and all that other stuff. Like he used to take me up to Okuni, go hunting and stuff for rabbits and things like that, you know, and, um, and shooting and stuff like that. And like, it was always a dream we did. We have gone deer hunting a couple of times together, but like I would look through the family albums and see all his old f- hunting photos of the deer. And, you know, he's got a deer mount on the wall and stuff like that. And, that was just something I always really wanted to do was to go deer hunting with them. Um, and like I say, we did, we've probably done it twice or so, well, sorry, previous to the bow hunting stuff I've been doing. He's been, he's hunted, come hunting with me quite a bit since then. But, you know, I always thought we'd go deer hunting together and he'd sort of teach me and uh, some of the stuff he knows about, about that. Um, but we did a lot of goat well, actually, he didn't do too much. Well, we went goat shooting and rabbits and possums around Macra there. There's lots of those. So I, I did learn a lot of stuff like that. And um, I don't want to – no, I mean, okay, like, I, I'd say I'm above average at shooting, like, with a rifle, and that's that's from him too, like, teaching me how to shoot properly. Like, I think I started shooting when I was, like, six or something, and, you know, I shot my first animal when I was seven. Um so he kind of did instill that stuff pretty early on. Um, but then, like I say, something just kind of changed. Um, I don't really know why. But, uh, yeah, anyway. So that's, sorry, I just I just thought let's, you know, before we jump too far ahead, that's kind of where the hunting thing came from. And then before I left to go to college, uh, sorry, to uh, Dunedin, I'd been doing a lot of goat, rabbit, and um, possum shooting, like fucking shitloads. Um, with uh, a friend Hamish um, and stuff like that, we used to go. We we back onto a big um, 
a big station there and there's just oodles of goats and possums and things like that. And I used to run trap lines as well before college. I'd go down and bash a whole bunch of possums on the head and then pull all the <laughs> fur out and then go to catch the bus to college, you know. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of fun. That's kind of a big part of New Zealand culture, hunting, which obviously I was going to ask you about how you got into that. But Yeah. Um, and, and just while we're on that quickly as well, at this time, like when – did the gaming thing come in? Were you I've always, in computer I've games I've always been, sorry, I forgot to mention that. I've always been interested in games. Like, I've done a lot of different stuff, and computers has been the one that's always stuck there gaming. And so I remember the first time when I was like five or six, actually, going to a friend's house, and oh, I don't remember what the game was. It might have been something with, like, tanks or something on, like, a shit what was one of those was it in a Amiga what era are we talking Atari? this would 80? be 90 hang on i was born in 84 so this is 89 uh yep. 89 or 90 something like that i remember it being a desktop kind of play thing anyway um but yeah i was just fucking enthralled in it you know like it was amazing and then and then um I don't really remember. Then I moved to, then we moved out to Macra. Then I had a friend who had a four, 386, was it? Yeah. Yep. A, yeah. And uh, he had like uh, Wings wings of Fury and uh, Civilizations, like the first game and stuff like oh, that yeah. on it. And, I, you know, those sorts of things I just thought were really amazing. And then there, we used to get those, remember the demo discs you could get with a whole bunch of demo games on them? Yeah, yeah, we used yeah. to do like a hundred games. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We used to have to uh, like collect pine cones as uh, like if we filled up three fadges. You know, a fadges, a wool sack. It's like a big yep, wool sack. Yep. Yeah, so we call them fadges. I think we had to fill three of those up with pine cones to get one one uh, of these demo discs. But anyway, there was like ah oh, shit, can't even remember the name. A Ken? Do you remember Ken? It was a Ken or something. There was those games yeah, too. That, does, that rings a bell, yeah. Um, and then there was like Monster Bash, I think, and there was a whole yep. bunch of those kind of games in there too, some racing games and uh, the Red Baron. I used to, used to really love the World War One and World War Two fighter oh, games yeah, and stuff. I played that. I played yeah. that Red Baron. That was a great game. That was good. It was awesome. Um, and so I spent ages because uh, that's something else too is my dad and my granddad on my dad's side love world war ii planes and things like that like i used to go to heaps of uh, air shows and stuff together and i've made used to make a lot of um airplane models and things like that um and uh so yeah it was you cool to be able like to f- plastic kits or yeah 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 that's it the airfix kits and things like that yeah 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 um Mate, so that our childhood's so similar <laughs> yeah that's pretty it's... much all the stuff that i do I was, i'm just a little bit older than you so yeah. like i literally was around for the first computer games so yeah same thing went to a friend's house played pong which was the most basic game but it was just i and even yep. to this day i think about it sometimes i'm not really sure why but it just fascinated me yeah yeah it's yeah. such a simple con- concept eh? it's really good because then, because then I think uh, the first Sega Mega Drive. Oh no, there was a, what was it? Atari. There was something around that. I can't Super remember if it was Nintendo Atari. or Sega Genesis. 
Sega Genesis. I think that was it because I remember there's Alex the Kid on it, whatever that one yes. was. I remember yeah. that came it came standard with the machine, didn't it? I think from memory. Yep, that's yeah. right. That's Sega Genesis. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's about the earliest gaming system I really properly remember in terms of consoles, um, and then Sonic a few years after. You know, like just that. That was it. I went to like console a lot. I had a friend at uh, Ari who used to have one, and we used to play a lot of Sonic the Hedgehog and stuff on it and things like that. And and then, yeah, I remember the Nintendos as well, um, stuff like that. So, But I there was a thing is like I was never allowed one of those. It was always a friend's place too, which maybe that made it more attractive yeah. too, you know what I mean? Because you can't, as soon as you can't have something, it makes it more, um, yeah. more desirable. So, yeah. But anyway, yeah, I've always loved video yes. games in a short, you know, so. Cool. Yeah, and so let's fast forward a bit to yep, um, to, to getting out of uh, New Zealand. Yeah, and uh, tell me a little bit about you know the process of and how you moved to Europe and and how that sort of came about. Cool. So um, I went through those big Christchurch earthquakes, um, and then I can't. I think I was already going. I think I'd already planned actually to go to Australia. Um, okay, so you were living there at the time when that happened. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That wow. was like actually. Sorry, that's what I was going to say. Is is that I've already had your heart attack moment, basically. Um, yeah. Is uh yeah because the first one, I only woke up because I've heard shit falling off the shelves actually, um, and things breaking. That was at like four a.m. in the morning or something from memory, um, yeah. and then after that. Um, the next one happened obviously at like one, just before one o'clock or one o'clock, uh, midday, you know, and that was fucking insane. It was the most insane thing ever. Yeah. For those people who don't know, listening to this, they were fucking serious earthquakes. Like, yeah, my brother yeah. lives on the South Island. He lives in Methan. Oh yeah. About yep. an hour yep. from Christchurch. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for those listening, um, these were life changing events for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I can uh, do. I can happy to talk through that a bit as well, if you want. But yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's like you know, almost a podcast in itself. That was insane. So uh, we were working um, in Kashmir, which is at the bottom of the Port Hills, which is like I think it was like three kilometers away from the epicenter. Which in earthquakes terms, you might as well be standing on top of the bloody thing. Yes. Um, and we'd been reducing these trees for this client. I had been up in the tree, and my good friend Toby had been clearing all the stuff out to the truck. And I got out of the tree, and there was like one piece of uh, like a log that I just had to cut a couple of times to put into firewood rounds with the customer but my saw ran out of gas and so i was walking out with my climbing gear gear and my chainsaw and toby had some brush um and uh like by this stage we'd had a lot of earthquakes because of the the first one you know and you can usually hear them coming a little bit but this one it just i guess probably because we were so close actually now i think about it it just fucking hit and like um I mean, this is the thing is like I've told this story a few times now and you can never do it any any justice at all. But it's like imagine trying to stand on jelly or, or something and 
you know, and uh, so I I was kind of in a surfer position, I guess, to try and brace myself, you know what I mean? And Toby uh, reached out to try and grab me to steady himself and he knocked us both over. And um, I'm on the ground looking up at this fucking chimney. The top of it had fallen off in the first one, thank Christ. But this brick chimney was like, looked like a snake trying to crawl up the side of the house, like it was separating from the house and wobbling all over the place. And then all of a sudden it was stopped again. And and I, I think that went on for, jeez, oh, I have to Google it. It felt like maybe 10 seconds or something, that earthquake, the first one. And anyway, and we're both looking at each other like eyes, size of sources, you know, like, and we run out onto the street and like even going up the path that would be going up, like there was cracks in just the footpath outside the house, you know. And then we get up onto the street and there's dust everywhere. And I'm like, we're like what the fuck? And the hot, the house across the road from us the whole front of it had fallen off like you were looking into a doll's house it was a two-story house so you could see completely into the top story completely into the bottom story right like just completely into the side of this house and then to the right there was more dust because the whole house had collapsed and the builders had luckily ran out of the house but their house is completely flat um and then another one hit and we're looking at the truck and chipper and the chipper is fucking bouncing up and down on the road, like connected to the truck still, but it's bouncing, like moving sideways. The, I shit, you know, the power poles were flexing so much that it almost looked like they were meeting in the middle of the road. Like, uh, like you know what I mean? Like, like that. Yeah. And then like, like all the bushes, it's like um, someone's got their hands around them, trees, and that's like straight, like shaking them like from their neck kind of what it looks like you know it's just insane and there's dust fucking coming out of the ground and all this other stuff and then i rang my mum i've never talked about mum too much uh, she's she's awesome but she's a medical specialist in wellington and i rang her and i said look there's been a fucking massive earthquake people are definitely dead this time but i'm okay uh and then all the cell phone network fucking went out wow. so so she alerted the wellington hospital to get them all fucking into gear and then toby and i were like okay we've we've got to get out of here like we just quickly made the brush tidy so people could get past it or drive or whatever they wanted to do and i said look we're just going to go really fucking slowly because there's going to be idiots everywhere like you know panicking and stuff and so we just drove really slowly down the road and it was uh yeah i mean like everything that was flat wasn't flat anymore there's water mains burst like everywhere any anywhere there was a manhole cover was all warped and deformed you know like all the tarmac had either sunk or that had sunk down uh and then there's like some parts of the roads especially uh, not not in that part but other parts had dropped like a meter or two like it's just like you can't it was you can't because we're around a river part there too there is no way, unless you've seen it, you can ever gauge it. It's like everything you knew uh, to be solid and good is just all of a sudden not. And that's like the biggest thing about the whole thing is like you grow up thinking buildings are tough, trees are strong, you know, ground is the ground. You need a fucking digger to move the ground, right? And it's flat. You know, you can understand a hillside falling off because that's gravity. But how the hell is there all of a sudden like a two-kilometer square piece of ground that's sunken? You know, what I mean, like there was literally this, the gravity of the of the ground that moved is so big that you can see like these big 
Like I'm not even joking, kilometer two kilometer stretches yeah. of road that has sunk down and the other bits yeah. have raised up in it. And the well, amount of dogs Australia, we we saw yeah. a lot of the coverage obviously. So yeah, I yeah. I remember the impact. It was it was crazy. Yeah. And the dogs running everywhere, mate. They just jumped fences and gone Freaked nuts. Out. Oh, dude, they were running all over the neighborhood. It was insane. And, like, we were in that part, which is probably what well, it is, one of the richest parts in Christchurch. And the deaf, all the house alarms, all the car alarms were going off. And it was so loud. It was like cicadas in the summer. It was like one note. Does that make sense yeah. to you? Like, it was yes. just, yep. it was, that was that was insane. Um, and anyway, and we drove like, you know, and then all of a sudden there's fucking boulders in the road because they've rolled off the top of the port Hills down onto the, into the bottom and stuff. And anyway, and I go to my, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to quickly check on my friend, Steve, um, because their house is pretty close and he's sitting in the lounge and he's like, what's going on? And I was like, what do you mean what the fuck's going on? Did you not just feel that? Like, cause he'd stayed in his house. He just thought it was another big earthquake, you know, and, and hadn't seen. The, I was like, mate, you need to uh, go and check on your family and stuff. Like, it's pretty fucking bad and stuff like that. And then same as I went back to uh, my ex's, ex-chick on here at the time, actually, uh, and um, so at a school, and they weren't really very aware of it. And then we went out to the, the yard to the boss's place, uh, and the wife was there. She said, oh, what are you guys doing back? I said, what are we doing back? <laughs> Turn on your TV. And, yeah, so same thing as, like, just a lot of people weren't really very aware straight away how bad it was. Um, and so I grabbed a whole bunch of blankets and water bottles and stuff from from the boss's place, actually, because they have heaps of things like that. And um, I had a sledgehammer and all my safety gear and stuff like that. And I went back to my flat to make sure that was okay, the house. And some of my flatmates had come back and they'd been in the middle of town too. They knew how fucked up it was. And then I drove into town and uh, I I volunteered to help with the rescue teams that night. So there was only myself and one other guy. And that other guy had been involved in the 9-11 towers as an American firefighter. Um, We were the only two people that got accepted to go and help. And, only reason I got accepted is because I had everything. I had all my safety gear. I had uh, ropes training and stuff like that too for the for the okay, you yeah, know yeah. and stuff like that. So we went and checked houses and buildings and stuff that night. Um, by the time we went out, they knew where all the bad places, like the collapsed buildings and stuff, were and stuff like that. But our jobs were to go and check all the in between bits. You know what I mean to make sure. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah, and that was a really fucked up experience to be honest it was like so just absolutely obviously, mind melting so yeah i was gonna yeah. say so you started off by saying that you had your heart attack moment there so this obviously had a big impact on you oh mate like you're like that there is like you're either in the right place or you're not in the right place with earthquakes i'm sorry there's not really much you can probably try and do some stuff to uh to fix you know but like yeah, I mean, I was let you just think about because I think about it quite a, a bit too. But like, we saw this van and it was some poor tourists, and they'd been driving down the road. And I guess the earthquake stopped and that uh, happened, sorry, and they stopped in the middle of the road. I, I guess they stopped actually. I don't 100% know that. But this whole corner pillar of a building, I think it was probably four or five stories high, fell off, and the very tip of it hit the, dro- the top of the driver's side. 
and just jammed this guy. That's the only way I can describe it. There's just person jam in this van. Uh, and like, it was so clean that the fiance, cause they'd just been married was completely unscathed apart from being absolutely splattered with a recently, uh, married, sorry, they were married, uh, husband. Yeah. Like, just like, how do you, you know, like, what is the odds of that happening? You know what I mean? Like, it's like ridiculous. And, you know, we talked to this guy who um, we went to these apartment buildings and underneath used to drive in and the bottom story was the parking. Okay. So when we got there, you walked in at that level and it was the first story. Does that make sense? So the whole thing had fallen down on the cars. So we got there and um, that one had already been ticked off. We uh, There was some signs we used to put on the windows to let other rescue teams know they've been cleared, you know. And mm-hmm. this guy comes out and says, this is my place. He said, I um, jumped in my car and I realized I forgot my wallet. I ran back upstairs. Earthquake happened. Everything fell down. He was like fine, but he would have been fucking smushed in his car had he not forgotten his wallet that day. There, mate, there were so many stories like this. It is ridiculous. And so, like, that was really, like, you know, um, that was, you know, it just is, like, there were people stressing out about earthquakes as well a lot because, like, you know, a lot of PTSD and whatever you want to call it, just a lot of panic. But basically, I was just like, ah, you know, (laughs) whatever you're either in the right place or you're not and it was really good it's like i can't control the earthquakes there's no point panicking about them like you know i'm just not going to live in fear of these anymore it's um yeah is what it is and yeah i mean the other thing too is like i'm not really i'm not really religious um and I think some religious people say some fucking stupid things, but I'm just going to tell you if there's a God, he wouldn't have killed every single fucking church in Christchurch. There was not a church there that was undamaged. Like all the bricks, everything fell out of everything. Yeah. It just, uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was crazy. And then it rained a little bit that night and there was fog and they'd set up all these temporary spotlights with generators and stuff. It was like zombie. And because it had happened at lunchtime, like you'd walk into a place and all the dinner, it was like frozen in time. All the food was on the table still or on the floor if it had gotten the floor. You know what I mean? Like really, we went, we went and checked this um, this uh, uh, hotel out, a really big one. And, you know, the baggage trolley was like still there with people's bags on it and stuff like that. And um, just fucking crazy it was like like those movies you see where people just suddenly vanish that's what it was like it's just like the walking dead yeah exactly and then then all the liquefaction stuff that happened too it's just mind-blowing mate it was crazy so so was this kind of the start of like you thinking that you might want to live somewhere else or no i shouldn't i was trying to i was trying to remember i think i'd already planned to leave to Australia by this point, because at that stage I could go to Australia and get, um, oh, it was something ridiculous, like an extra $20 an hour, you know, for, yeah. for the same job. Um, and so I think I'd already planned, planned that to happen. Um, I can't quite remember the timing of it all. I'm pretty sure I had, um, but, uh, yeah, that was insane. That was really big. Insane. Um, yeah, that's crazy shit, man. Yeah. So, 
And but, so, uh, so you move you you move to Australia first before Europe, or? Yeah, so I actually did two stints in Australia. I moved to Australia. Ah, oh, gee, I missed a bit of stuff. So that that girl that, um, she broke up with me. Let's so say the first time. There's we broke up twice. First time after uh, two and a half years, she broke up with me. She finished the study and whatever, and I doesn't matter. And I was like, okay, sweet. I went and cut down a whole tree, and uh, and then split the whole thing up at my dad's house, right. And then by the end of that, I tell you what, I was fucking good as gold. I had a plan. That's what it was. I was got a plan. I was going to go to Australia. Didn't need to worry about that girl anymore, right? Then I go to Australia, and she did to me what I tried to do to her. She was like, oh, I fucking made a mistake. I want to get back together and stuff, you know. I said, well, come over to Australia for a weekend or a week or something, and we'll see how we go. We went on Blue Mountains and all that other stuff, you know. And had a good time and decided to get back together again. Um, then a job at the Otago Polytech came up for an arbicultural tutor and um, I got that job so I taught there in Dunedin for two years um, and then went back to Australia and did some training over there and then while I was over there I had a friend that was in Sweden um, and he uh, he said oh you got to come over to Sweden and get your job it's really good and I was like nah you know like I'm making good bank here I'm happy he said, oh, yeah, but, you know, after you, when you turn 31, you can't get any holiday travel visas anymore. And I was like, hmm. So, all right, then, fuck it, let's do it. So I got a working holiday visa for Sweden. And because this whole thing is I never really wanted to go to England. Like, all the Kiwis go to England for their OE experience. And yeah. I was just like, why would you want it? It's the same fucking culture. It's just got a same different zombies. accent. Yeah, I was like, I was like, so I was like, okay, well, Sweden's interesting. They speak English, so that's going to be okay. But it's a different culture, got different foods and different, you know. So that'll be fun. Let's do that. So I go over to um, to Sweden and I meet my mate Hamish there and um, start working. And yeah, I guess that's that's kind of how I got to Europe. Um, what was and- your first job there? So I went back on the tools, actually. So I'd gone from teaching people. And that's the good thing about arboriculture is there's like a worldwide shortage of climbers. So you can just go back there. Um, But I was in like a really, you know, at this stage I'd been doing it uh, 14 years. And I had kind of come full circle. Like I didn't, I didn't mind cutting trees down, but I wanted to do really good work and do the best for all the trees possible. So this guy... um, was about 10 years behind in terms of the industry standards and this is a real kind of uh, in a nutshell story but basically um he asked me one time we had like a review you know he said hey look like tell me um honestly what you think about my business and you know all that other stuff and I said well you know you're literally about 10 years behind the behind the industry standards you know the stuff that you're preaching now is stuff that they were doing I don't know, you know, end of the nineties basically. And it's not really the best thing for the trees, you know, like he'd, he'd, mm-hmm. he'd, uh, like people, cause most people in Sweden actually generally really care about their trees where like in Australia and New Zealand, people don't seem to care too much. They just want to cut down or fucked up, you know, like cut, just cut that in yeah, half. It's it. common. Yeah, exactly. And, but most people in Sweden actually really like the nature and the wildlife and stuff. So we'd be turning up to jobs and they were like, okay, what are we doing? And they're like, well, uh, he suggested to do this and this and this. And we're like, um, but like, do you like the tree? And I was like, yeah, we love the trees. Like we don't want to do that. Like, cause otherwise it's kind of, you know, 
do bad things to it. I'm just again paraphrasing, and uh, and then anyway, so we talked to them about it and do it again in the same time. wasn't losing any money or anything like that. And then you got a really happy customer, you know. And uh, and anyway, he got started getting really fucked off with us, um, as you would. I, I would as a boss too. But like I was saying, I was like, you know, I've killed fucking thousands of trees. I don't know how many trees I've killed, but you know, like I really want to do the best for trees I can at this stage. And I'd explain to him why we're doing it like this, this way and stuff, you know, and then he pulled me into his office and he said, you know, and I talked to him about it and I said, look, and I, I've, um, you know, I wanted to make sure that this just wasn't how things are done in Sweden. So I asked some friends and stuff like that. And they said, no, you know, this is, that's, that's not correct. That's not how we do things in Sweden either. Uh, and he was like, Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Thanks. That's, Awesome, nice feedback. I appreciate it. Thank you, you know, and all this other stuff. Uh, and then uh, about three weeks later, because we're all just contracting to them, he says, oh, can you come and see me? I said, yeah. Oh, no, he said, oh, I'll come and see you. I said, okay, sweet ass. He said, uh, you're fired. Like, this is on Monday morning, you know, after the weekend. I was like, what do you mean I'm fired? Wow. He, said, he said, I can't trust you. I said, what do you mean you can't trust me? He said, oh, you've been running around town talking shit about me. And I said, the fuck, I haven't been running around town talking shit about you to get that idea from oh well you've been talking to people about the way i do business i said no i didn't say that i asked about like what the industry standards are in sweden at the time you know and um basically he really didn't like you know he didn't want to change i guess he wasn't <laughs> so anyway feedback. what's that sorry he wasn't open to any kind of feedback that was his Not. problem not at all, mate. Not at all. So we'd been um we'd been uh, contracting to this absolute fucking nut job, um in uh, in Sweden as well. Like I don't know how this is one of these people that had gone like fallen through the cracks in the system somehow. Like like uh, really unhinged. Um, this like we just yell abuse at people and stuff like that. Like I dropped um uh, we were working in this tight area. Oh, sorry, I went to work for him. I went and worked for, with him to finish the year off. Uh, that's that's what I was trying to say. But let's get into Lars. His name's Lars. He's an absolute unit of a person. Like there's nobody else I've met in this world that's as special as this person. I promise you that. But anyway, at the about this time, spend enough time in Australia. <laughs> uh, oh come on, we all know all you Australians are special, but we love you, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. I was just like, oh, I'm just. Uh, what do we to call it? Censoring myself in my brain. <clears throat> but anyway, there's um uh, at about this time I meet my now wife Yenny on Tinder. Okay, so um, we just obviously probably didn't think anything was going to go too far, and we're just having fun. Um, and then I went and went for this guy Large. He was going to give me some accommodation, but the accommodation turned out to be just in his one one room apartment with him. It was fucking really weird. And um, basically, one weekend I went to stay with Yenny just uh, because, you know, that's what we're doing. And then I just basically never moved out. <laughs> that's how it worked. Like, it just kind of was one of these weird things. Like, it was just meant to be. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it, anyone's had that right, but it just, like, everything just felt has been right and felt right since. Um, so it was just really weird. But, um yeah, I'm trying to find this fucking sound clip for you, but this guy anyway, he's 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 crazy. So he uh, 
I was dropping these branches down into this little alleyway and it's okay. Like you have a road control out and, you know, you drop the branches, clear it off, let the cars through that kind of thing. Stop and go kind of system. But of course, large doesn't have any, um, anything like this in place. So, um, uh, he's, uh, just out there with his little tractor thing. And, um, he, uh, happens oh that's right this oh this old person comes driving in right in the middle of the work site because he didn't know there was a work site there and this guy must be like in the 70s or 80s large goes up to him starts fucking yelling at him and and abuse in swedish reaches into the go can you okay picture someone doing this in australia and tell me what would happen okay he reaches into the guy's car pulls the keys out of the ignition ignition throws them into the fucking bushes to try and get him to come out of the car you know what i mean Mm-hmm. Um, so you can imagine how that would go down in Australia, right? That just would oh, be, yeah. uh, it's on. <laughs> oh yeah. So, um, oh, just insane. But yeah, this was not like that. He used to have some guys working for him, but they still has a few of them and they used to beat large with rakes and stuff because he's just what? like, yeah, I know it, it gets even, uh, I mean, this is, I'm only getting touching the surface here really, but the, they have a video of him. They used to have this guy, uh, Emmanuel, who's from Cameroon or something, working for them. And uh, he was like, I'm done, Large. I quit. And he goes across the road to the to, from the, the site, and there's a bus stop, and he's sitting at the bus stop waiting for the bus to come. Large gets his fucking sledgehammer out <laughs> and walks up, walks up to him and starts, like, I don't even know why, just smashes the glass panel in the bus stop next to him with the sledgehammer. Manuel flips out. He's this big African guy, really big guy, right? Flips out, grabs the fucking sledgehammer in him, or off him. You see, like, like the color fade from Lash's face. Lash starts running off. Uh, and then instead of, like, chasing Lash with the sledgehammer, we're working, he's working by this big lake. He just fucking hammer throws this goddamn sledgehammer like 60 meters out into the lake. And Large goes from being terrified to then all of a sudden worried, worrying how much the how much that sledgehammer cost him. It's just right. absolutely Sounds like a bunch of Russians on vodka. <laughs> Mate, it's just insane. I, I, I'm trying to find where... I think I have it in my email. If I can find it for you, I'll find I like this will this will show you how nuts the guy is. Like it's just absolutely special. Where did I put it? I think And I so so how long you you worked for this guy for a couple of years, a year or Nah, maybe? six months this guy, yeah. Six and then months. I went back then I went back to um then I went back to uh back to New Zealand after that. And Yeni came with me actually. I didn't think she would. I was like, Look, I'm going back to New Zealand you know, because my visa runs out, do you want to come to New Zealand with me? And she's like, yep. And I was like, huh. Wow. All right, then. Let's do and it. Then, so then how did you end up back over there? And then we probably should move on to the, to the next oh, yeah, phase sorry. of uh, expansive worlds. How, explain all right, to so, me how that all came about. All right. So I'll fast forward. Basically, we did a year in New Zealand. That's that. Yep. like why I worked there. We're back on the uh, – managed the um, – Tree removal on the uh, Transmission Gully project. If there's any Kiwis listening to that stupid fucking project, that was my God. That, like, I don't know how so many smart people in a room can be so fucking stupid. I just don't understand it. Like, all university graduates, you know, with all these amazing degrees, and it was an absolute shit show. It was terrible. Like, even 
I can't even remember what it was like six months into the project, they knew it was going to be well over budget and over time. Like it's just, it was just stupid. And it was supposed to be finished in 2020. It's 2022. It only just opened up this year. So uh, sounds like every project in Australia. Well, it was run by Australians, actually. I'm not even being, <laughs> well, I'm not, no, yeah, I'm not even being uh, facetious or anything. It was uh, run by an Australian company. So um, yeah, it was just, uh, I don't think they knew what they were getting themselves into really so um but uh yeah anyway so then we went back to sweden um uh, and i had to wait a little bit i was trying to get uh i was trying to get my um my working visa visa yeah for for partnership as well um oh yeah 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 and um it's uh yeah it took 14 months to get it in the end actually it was ridiculous wow. but but like the same with Australians, you know, you can be in Europe three months without needing any visa on the Schengen visa, and you can be there a total of six months in a 12-month period. So basically, I just kind of guessed. I was like, all right, well, I think um, I think it'll be around the year mark that it takes to get the visa. So I went over in like April, I think it was, and then um, stayed in Sweden for two months. And then I kept a month up my sleeve. Basically, I went to Croatia for two weeks, uh, two months, and lived there with uh, uh, a guy, Sebastian, who's uh, he I actually met him through the crazy man. Um, and uh, yeah, so I lived in Croatia for two months. It was awesome. It was really, really good. Um, but uh, yeah, and then my visa finally came through in about uh, August or something. It was, and in that year. In that year, uh, here I found this fucking voice clip too. We'll play that in a second. But <laughs> it, it, in the uh, the year, I was like, oh, I used to love hunting games. I used to play hunt, uh, deer hunter and stuff like that. I was like, I wonder what's I wonder what's available nowadays, you know? And because I had time to kill while uni was at work and I wasn't allowed to work and all that other stuff, so I found the Hunter Classic on Steam uh, and got absolutely hooked hooked in it and got really involved in the uh, in the community and things like that. And then literally the day my visa came through i was like i wonder what jobs they've got going i'd love to get involved in that you know and they had a community manager job and i i knew uh, a couple of uh the well i knew uh david caledonian blues uh if anyone knows that for just from chatting to him basically and i said hey what do you need to do this he said we well, don't really need any qualification you just need good people skills and you know blah, 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 blah. And anyway, a long story short is I got shortlisted straight away for the job. And uh, yeah, I got uh, got the job as community manager wow. for, for Hunter Classic. Yeah, I think because I hunt in real life and knew the games inside out and knew the community well, it was kind of just a a good fit, you know. So, it was a natural progression for them probably. Yeah, exactly. So that's how I got into Spencer. We're literally, again, right place, right time. Or in the earthquakes sense, wrong place, wrong time. Uh, yep. But uh, yeah, before we move on, before we move Go on too much, the... I'll, I'll hit, hit you with this. It. Hopefully, you can hear it. Um, yep. Basically, the idea is uh, Sebastian, who's the French guy. Uh, he had come back from holiday while he was away. Large had employed another English guy, but Large had given the English guy Sebastian's work vehicle. Okay, so so this uh... is in the morning. Sebastian's like, "How am I getting into work this morning?" I don't have a car to get into work anymore, okay? And so I'm sitting in the car in the petrol station next to Lars while they're having a conversation. Listen to this. So are you going to ring this guy? Can you hear that okay? Yeah, I can hear it. Yeah. 
He will not. Nobody for have a car no more. Nobody. <laughs> so you tell Sam that he won't have one either. And it won't be that long anyway. Nobody for have a car. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we for do this, Sebastian. Nobody for have the car. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody for have a car. Wait. Uh, for you pay me. You for pay me a very very high ticket, Anna Sebastian. Uh, you, uh, Sebastian, you work in the company. You, uh, I, we, we, uh, Sebastian, you, Sebastian, you cannot give me orders. You listen. I'm talking to you. What is the problem? You cannot come to me and give me order. We are going to lose one to two thousand every hour. What fucking you do? Jävla idiot, also. Anyway, anyway, I'm gonna stop there because that that goes on for 28 minutes, mate, and that was a normal uh, day. That was a normal day with this guy. Yeah, I've worked with those people. eh? like I used to work with a guy because my trade's painter and decorator, so I spent a lot of time on construction sites. Yeah, yeah, I'm laughing because man, I worked with those people, and yeah, they've. I know exactly what it's like, but oh, yeah. that's funny. But, that's but that guy's shit. that guy's a legit piece of shit. Like the only people that he gets physical violent with are old people or women too. Actually, like he's a horrible person. Um, Someone's and so, punch him in the head one day. Yeah, yeah. Well, he got arrested uh, a couple of years ago actually for beating up a school caretaker. That oh. was on. Yeah, I mean, like he was working on the school site. Like, what sort of a per- business person would and do then- that? Yeah, yeah, it's that's retarded. Crazy. And then, so you've gone from that to like now you're working at like what I assume is one of the probably best companies in the world who's like organized and they got their shit together. Like, what was that like when you first started working in expansive worlds with like proper people? May the I'm just going to say this, and I've said it a lot that that first the first teams that were at expansive worlds when I was there were the fucking best. Like the company's still great now. I, I don't, I'm sure you know I've left. The company's yes. still great now, but it's just changed so much. The company's changed because so much the, now. because of the growth. Yeah, because of the growth. Exactly right. Yeah, I mean, like when we first there, it was, um, you know, like uh, it was still independently owned by the owners. Now it's owned by a Nordisk Film. Um, yeah. You know, like like everybody that worked there had to play video games and stuff like that, and had to like video games. Um, you yeah. know, and now, like I say, when you get to a company that's, you know, as big as it is now, you can't have those standards anymore. Otherwise, you'd just never fill the, you'd yeah. never fill the job gaps, you know. But um, Yeah, look, I've, I've kind of seen that before and I won't go into it, but, yeah, businesses and the other things that I've done as well. And, yeah, they start off small and then actually when it gets bigger is when shit gets complicated. Yeah. And that's what it was. And, like, it was, like, the good days. Everyone was in the struggle together and it was, like, you know, we were one team moving forward to fight this, you know, not the fight, the fight, to get the same goals. And now it's such a, uh, you know, a big, more of a fragmented system as big companies are. Like I'm saying is I'm not shitting on the company at all. It's just no, reality. No. It's the reality of being a biz, big business is it's yeah. got a different atmosphere to it. So One, one thing I'm really yeah. interested in is um, because, you know, um, when it comes to a lot of things, right, basically a lot of the Scandinavian countries pretty much have world's best practice. Um, you know, um, I won't go into it all now, but, you know, like education, well, that's what we see from looking here. So I'm interested to know from your point of view, like 
what is it actually like you know living and working in in sweden and um and how do you find that different to say our system down here in australia new zealand so it's really funny it's like things are for sure easier here like um you know in new zealand i would find myself like oh should i have a coffee this morning you know what I mean? Because of the budget and stuff like that. Yeah. I think like, like I, like because I've worked in both things, it's a little different in Australia. Like there's more money for tradies, at least in Australia than there is in New Zealand. Um, yeah. But it's like, you don't have to worry about that so much. in in Sweden, the public transport systems and stuff over here are just absolutely freaking amazing. It costs me like, if you get a monthly card and that's for, unlimited buses trains and ferries uh it cost me 90 euros a month uh and people complain about that over there but like you couldn't run a car a week for 90 euros over here Uh, and you know and um i walk uh five minutes to the train station the tunnel barner and then i was going 15 minutes into work you know i mean 20 minutes at most sometimes um, you don't have to worry about looking at timetables. You can just stroll on down there because in the busy times there's a train every five minutes. And in the yeah. worst times, uh, which is about two o'clock in the morning, I think it's every half an hour or something like that, maybe every hour. So, I mean, those times you probably want to look, but through the day, it's generally between five and 10 minutes as a train coming along. So really doesn't matter at all. You know, um, and- that's, that's really awesome. I, I really think they've got that dialed in. So. Yeah. And, the, and the, there's buses the, the go million, everywhere. Yeah. Yep. The million dollar question that most people kind of want to ask people moving this way, like everybody says, you know, like, okay, tax is higher, but no, you get everything. Not. You get healthcare. Yeah. And yeah. Is, that, look, is that true? Mate, mate, I do not resent paying any taxes over here. Yeah. I don't even have a, I don't have a, uh, you know, like in New Zealand, like, what the fuck are they doing with my money? Like, all the potholes yeah. are fucked up. Like, the roads are fucked up. You know, you're still paying out their ass for everything. You don't really see too. You see, like, an art fucking sculpture go up or something. Like, great. How does this fucking help me? You know, like, in Sweden, um, after the snow or whatever, because the snow fucks the tarsi a little bit, they're all out there fixing the potholes, sweeping everything off. Roads are fucking good. Public transport's good. Education's great. Health's great society's fucking good like it really i don't give a shit at all and i don't even remember what taxes i don't think it's that much hang on uh tax rate in sweden for well i can tell you it's up around 50 60 percent and i've done a lot of research into this because interestingly no no here we go so so individuals for for tax because this is a misconception is 28 to 35 percent wow but you get everything business yep businesses pay a little bit more but i actually think like you kind of should as a business uh pay you know like like if you want your society to work yeah 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 and so cut to the chase because like this is one of the not banes of my life right but like australia right we're pretty smart cookies right but yeah man the way we do shit it's so fucked up like i won't even go into it but i'm like why don't we just like follow world's best practice? So what do you reckon it is? Do you reckon it's just a cultural thing? It's a cultural thing, mate. And you know what? New Zealanders and Australians like struggle. I'm sorry, but they really do. I mean, Mm. like you look at uh, the mentality in New Zealand about being cold. Okay. Mm. In Sweden, if you're cold, it's you're you're a fucking idiot. Just put some more clothes on. Like you don't want to be cold, right? In New Zealand, it's cool to be cold. 
and I'm that <laughs> fucking tough guy that wears my shorts outside in the fucking snow. You know what I mean? Like people just look like yeah. you're stupid over here because you are stupid. But in New Zealand, that's like a manly thing to do is be cold, you know, like I don't understand it. But, yeah, I don't know. It's just a weird like like I think Kiwis and Australians generally – like that struggle a little bit you know like the fight yeah well i say to people as well like i mean let's be honest right look at where we come from right yes we're we're a bunch of convicts (laughs) (laughs) this is true we're a bunch of thieves you know like i had mates like i haven't traveled too much especially not europe but um you know i got mates that go to japan and they're like you drop your iphone at the central station right and someone fucking hands it in yeah right there's ten thousand bikes out the front of tokyo station right not a yeah. padlock in sight like, yeah man those bikes wouldn't last five minutes in australia you know and it's kind of it's kind of frustrating but yeah when i was sort of you know whenever i'm researching anything or it always comes down to the, the scandinavian countries in particular like sweden norway even finland they seem to be the ones that are like onto this shit the other thing is they're less resistance to change. Do you think that's fair to say? Like, if they just oh, see yeah. a better way, they do oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I will say it's way too fucking woke over here. I'm so sick of that shit. Like, oh, I am yeah. I am all for people being treated fairly. And, you know, I don't care if you want to, what you want to identify as, but don't fucking jump down people's throats if they get things wrong. Everyone makes yeah. mistakes, you know. Like, yeah. and, and uh, you know, I just think... Uh, I just think it needs to stop somewhere and people, it needs to stop getting highlighted. Like if you really want equality for everything, you need to like treat everything equally. Um, you know what I mean? Like I really don't get this, uh, you know, like, uh, this yeah, I mean, I can't get it's into getting too pretty much, bad but. in Australia. Like I know you probably haven't been here for a while, but you know, there's a lot of woke bullshit and you know, I think what happens too with humans, right. Is, we tend to do things a bit like a pendulum, you know, like oh, yeah. we, 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 we've gone too far the other way and then all, then we go too far one way. And I think, you know, take, I think they say it takes like 20 years or some shit for cultural change. So I think that's probably happening everywhere, you know? Yeah. And I mean, like, but, but the thing is, is that like what really needs to happen in my opinion for everything in the world these days is like facts, like decisions need to be taken on facts, not feelings. Like feelings are just a fucking stupid thing. Like, like I, what teenager is not mixed up until you're like 20, you've got fucking nothing going on in your head. You like, you shouldn't, you know, like this is the thing. This is like if you get to twenty, and then you're like, okay, I identify as a woman. Okay, it's fine. Like I think that's 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 totally fine. But before you're, you know, like actually, there's reasons that you know they have voting age and drinking age. It's because you're not responsible enough as a person to handle those responsibilities. So mm-hmm. how the fuck can anybody say yeah. that they're uh, this and that or whatever until they've like. Like the amount of chemical change that shit goes on in your brain is just ridiculous. Like it's yeah. going to make everybody unstable. It's those things that I think are not good. Like again, I've got no nothing against if somebody wants to identify as a woman or a man or get a sex change or whatever, but just do it when you're like, you know, you, you're actually 3,000% and that's, that's what's going on, you know. Like, yeah, yeah I just don't understand yeah. any laws or legislations that would support that knowing how kids and and teenagers are it doesn't make any sense is that most of europe or just certain countries i don't uh, i think it's certain countries yeah I, I think you've got like the uh you know you've still got that kind of the hard countries in in europe that 
probably wouldn't do do that sort of shit. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just think, think yeah. Sorry, keep on, on those lines, I was going to say, do you think part of the problem with Australia and New Zealand is the fact that we are so isolated? Because yeah. I see in Europe, you know, like if someone changes the law or does something, well, your neighbor's fucking right there, like, you know, 100Ks or 300Ks away. Like, man, four, I go 400Ks just to go fishing. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like the biggest uh, eye-opener for me actually was in that first year. Yenny invited me out to go and see the Pride Parade here, right, you know? And I was like, yeah. you know, I'm like really torn, rugby culture, Guy culture, you know, oh, this is gonna, this is make me gay if I go and watch gay people. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm being yeah, honest yeah. with you, like, like how you get grown up and stuff like that. And then you, you, you go there and you're like, fuck, this is cool, man. Like those guys are so accepting of these people, you know? And it was like, it was really cool. And I, I think that is kind of like the big thing because I put it out on Facebook and stuff too. I was like, fuck, this was a really cool experience, you know? Like it's nice to see a community and it's like the whole fucking town comes out. It's a big thing, you know? That is so, so supportive of this stuff and then there was like people like messaging me like i always knew you were fucking gay and shit like that you know like your mates yeah, like give you shit but it's yeah yeah but they're like really like new zealand and australia sexually are very um oh, uh, yeah. uh uh very restrictive yeah, yeah yeah fuck yeah and like we like to think that we're not oh no, we you, oh yeah i mean even the girls over here they just get out there and fuck like guys do. It's great. I'm not even joking. Yeah. They don't give a fuck. There's oh, no, no, there's no slut shaming or nothing over here. It's just like, why yeah. can't I fuck? I like fucking too. I'm a person, you know. Like, I was going to say, a... we got this weird mix in Australia now, where we still got we got the woke, but we still got those people that are just like, oh, you know, like you fuck one person in your life and that's it, kind of thing. <laughs> no, no, don't do that. You don't learn if you le- if you only read one book in your life. How much have you learned? You know. Yeah. yeah. I'm just gonna put that out there. <laughs> yeah, no, good so, point. Yeah. So, so we better keep moving on because I yeah. really want to ask you a bit about um, bow hunting. So, um, yeah. well, the question I kind of want to know here is: um, so what? Because I, I was shocked to find out that it's actually illegal in Sweden. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, it's over fifty percent of the countries in Europe. It's a, it's illegal bow hunting, is wow. yeah. So, so why why is that? Um, literally, just people's feelings. Like they think that it's uh, you know, they've seen too many cowboy movies where the arrow's just sticking out of somebody's chest. You know what right. I mean? Like, and and then you get those um, a lot of the images. Uh, like I saw one just yesterday of like a pet that's been shot with a kid's bow. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just hanging out. They don't understand. There's a big difference between. Um, you know, like a proper hunting setup, and then the toy stuff. Um, yeah. And I would uh, have thought hunting is like a big part of European culture. It is. It is, mate. It's huge. But they're just yeah. all like even even the Swedish hunters over here, the rifle hunters. A lot of them are against bow hunting. They just don't understand it. It's wow, ridiculous. That's crazy. That seems crazy to me. Yeah, because I would have thought it'd be the opposite. Nah, nah. They're really and and this whole thing is like politicians are too scared to touch it. Um, you know what I mean? And then the hunters are scared that there's going to be photos popping up with animals running around with arrows hanging out of them and stuff like that, you know? And, mm. and it's just stupid. Like everything that can go wrong with a bow can go wrong with a rifle and does go wrong with a rifle. Well, I've seen these guys shoot, been out there. They're fucking terrible. Most, like like 80% of Sweden probably shoot one animal a year if they're lucky. You know, like yeah. I would shoot 40, 50 animals a weekend sometimes. And that's yeah. like a lifetime's worth of animals for a Swede 
or something. They just don't have a fucking clue what they're talking about most of the time. Yeah, but they'll stand really there and they, they'll stand there and talk to you like you're a fucking idiot, you know. And I'm like, oh yeah, how many animals have you shot? Oh, last year I shot, you know, two roe deers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh great, well done, you know, and you know that fucking meme with the chick yeah. clapping yeah. yeah it's like well so done is it getting is it getting better at all but because i noticed nah. and well, this leads me into my next question but the um so your latvian red deer story i wouldn't mind hearing a little bit about that because that was actually the first red deer taken on bow is that right that's right yeah yeah in modern times at least so basically they had a it's like a loophole in the law there where anything that's in a fenced area uh doesn't get classed under the hunting rules in that country Uh, it comes under the farming rules and so basically this place over there they've always bred red deer for trophies and stuff like that it's the same as like you know if you see those trophy deer in new zealand and stuff everyone knows they don't exist in the wild like apart from americans americans think that's just a fucking wild thing but (laughs) so that basically that whole setup now exists in latvia um, where they can have uh, trophy deer in these enclosed areas, which is the same in New Zealand too. It's like yeah, all we, those. We've got those properties in Australia as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And like, like I, I've openly said, like I hunt everything. I, I mainly prefer no fences, of course. Um, but uh, the fence stuff, you know, like it's it's a huge step forward any country in europe where we get a little bit of momentum on the bow hunting whether it's like you know like i say leave even if it's only in fenced areas like that is a huge win it's a huge win because hopefully they'll start to see that it works you know i've been recording everything we haven't had any lost animals yet everything's died really nice and quickly you know what i mean like hopefully we can start to show them and then it can become wild hunting as well that's the, the tourism dollars that as well yeah we're about to start working on trying to get americans over there as well for that because it's quite a bit cheaper and easier to get to than new zealand um for the red deer so and they got fallow deer and mouflon and stuff there as well so so what are what countries in europe are like sort of more open to that uh finland spain france portugal are probably the biggest uh, advocates for bow hunting okay um there are other countries where you can as well hungry you can recently too but it's like a lot of the places it's become legal recently and a lot of them don't understand bow hunting like um some of the places i've been to um they just do not understand bow hunting you turn up and the setup's all wrong like bow hunting has to be 110 percent right to get like a chance and, and we can have the win right, the setup right, everything. And you yeah. get there and they just think it's like a rifle where, you know, um, you can, yeah, it just doesn't you work. You can see so. it, you can kill it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's... That's um, so surprising to me because, um, yeah, especially when I sort of started following your stuff and the meat hunter stuff, I was like, what? I couldn't believe it because I thought... Oh, to me, like bow hunting seems like the oldest form of hunting. If you know, it what is, I mean. mate. Like, the only reason everybody's here is because someone freaking used a spear or a or a exactly. bow back in the day to get some meat. It's just silly. And and like you know, I just come back from Finland and I shot two animals and both died within ten seconds. Yeah, you know, I mean, the I white tail I shot, video, like I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I just he went straight down. Yeah, yeah, never even so, took another step. And see, interestingly enough, because like in Australia, bow hunting's kind of on the up. Like it's yeah. sort of like, and I had a similar experience here. I did a lot of hunting when I was a kid and even right up to my probably 30s, I did a lot of hunting. Both of my sisters owned 
farms, own sheep farms, but it was all yeah. rifle, you know. Yeah. And then I had this whole career where actually I was a professional angler for about 10 years and oh, cool. that involved, like I worked on a TV show and I, two, I was a magazine editor, I was fishing Shit, the yeah. tournament. So fishing was kind of like my thing. But then, um, and I wouldn't say like I've got bored of that, but I was looking for other challenges. And the thing that attracted yeah. me back to bow was like, when I was a kid, before we were allowed the 22, that's all we had was recurves. So our first rabbits and all that. And I like the fact that you have to be close because it's not just about the shot, as you know. It's about the experience and getting out there. And what you said before, you get to have everything in your favor. And, you know, unless you're like 50 yards, like forget it kind of thing, you know. And, and so bow hunting, it's been interesting because in Australia, it's kind of on the up and it's becoming a lot more popular especially i don't know if you heard there's a guy called pete who runs i hunt down under and you know he's he's all over socials and he's actually had a big a big part to play um and that's what really kind of shocked me i was like i thought oh we're just catching up to europe but i think do you you know him very well or do you ever just heard of him i know i do know him i do actually know him a little bit he funnily enough right he actually lives like 10 minutes from my place and i started following him when he started on there straight away so he knows me i've actually we will be having him on here at some point okay. um we've spoken about it and he's mate he's an incredible guy and what he's doing and you know the other thing is the, you know the trolls that he gets and all that bullshit and the way he deals with it because you know, I'm getting better at that as I get older, but I'm kind of like just I just tell people to fuck off, sort of thing. You know, and I've realised that's <laughs> yeah. not really that's not really the best way to like get your message across. So it's yeah. it's kind of funny because in Australia at the moment it's like, you know, it's on the up, and yeah, the shops are you know going really well. So I've bought a bow about two years ago. I haven't done a lot of hunting with it yet, mainly just bunnies and foxes at the my sister's yeah. farm, and I and I kind of want to. Of more practice shoot because I want to get to the point where, you know, I can confidently hit something. Because as you know, it's a big part. Like you don't want to take the shot um, unless you know it's going to be a, a good shot. So exactly, yeah. And and one of the things that you know on my bucket list it was interesting because going back to my heart attack. So when I was lying there on the bed, and you know they they're very uh, proper, you know, and and they don't they don't say fucking hurry up, this guy's going to die, but the, the way they're talking, like I could tell what was going on and you realize like, holy shit, this could be it kind of thing. And it was really interesting, like where my thoughts went because, um, and, and, and I only really kind of thought of a few things, you know, and it was like, I can't check out because I still haven't done this and I still haven't done that. And it was really only two or three things, right? And interestingly enough, one of them was like, I just always had this thing about a deer on a boat and I can't even really properly explain it to people but i know that you know what i mean when i say that because it's in you it's already in you yeah Yeah. it's part of your makeup yeah it's part of our dna and it's just like before i die like i just have to travel and interestingly enough before i kind of started following you i thought is america there's something about a white tail buck right like i just got it now the other thing is we actually do have deer in wa here we got samba um and fellows as well right yeah but they're all escapees so yes interestingly enough you couldn't even find one sort of five or ten years ago and now they're becoming more common but still like a reasonable amount of hard work but the fact that my dad was you know european 
that he was from Latvia. It's just like I only thought of two or three things when I was lying there, and and that was one of them. You know, I just thought I I got to get to Europe and and shoot a deer, and I can't even really explain why. <laughs> just the draw, eh? Something primal about it. Yeah, for sure. And that's why when I started looking into it, you know, and then I saw oh, he's this Kiwi guy. He's over there. I'll start following him. So it kind of really shocked me that it's still, yeah, a bit illegal. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, like like the, the common misconception is, oh, it's banned because it's a poaching weapon, right? It's quite, it's quiet. But like a bow these days is the most inefficient fucking poaching weapon you could ever get. I mean, you just get a silenced rifle where you can shoot something at 100, 200 meters away. Bow, you get to get in close. The animal usually runs a little bit. You know, there's a lot of uh, chance for leaving evidence behind. You know what I mean? Like, if you're a professional poacher, you're going to be in and out, right? And a bow is yeah. not that fucking weapon. Not no. that weapon at all. It's silly. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. that. And, um, yeah, I guess it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few years. But I think you're doing a you know, you're kind of like Pete in some ways. And, you know, he has definitely changed the attitude of a lot of people in Australia, a lot of people who's sitting up and taking notice because of the way he's going about it too. And I kind of see that you're sort of very similar. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, well, a couple more questions and then we'll wrap no it up. But I, I did yeah. want to wonder, wonder, so with the gear, because um, I'm relatively new to bow hunting, yeah. Um, so I'm I'm wondering, um, yeah, sort of what what you if you wouldn't mind running us through your gear and because the the million dollar question that seems to a lot of bow hunters, you know, size size of arrow, weight, and yeah. you know what you put on the end of it. Um, and I'd be interested to know like what you've found works best for you because Pete's got a real, you know, bugbear that you know a lot of shops here give people you know bad info and. He's kind of gone against the grain in terms of like, you know, everyone's like shooting big fucking 600, 800 grain arrows. And he's like, man, you just don't need them, you know. And when I was talking to him, he was like, mate, four, 500 grains, sharp broadheads, like that's all you need. So yeah, I was just wondering about your opinion on that and if you wouldn't mind running us through through your gear. Yeah, so my gear personally, I'm shooting a 510 grain arrow uh, with a sharp, uh, two blade fixed blade broadhead. So I, I, I've got a Dart Inspector E um, yep. set at 72 pounds, I think it is, and I got 28 inch draw length. Um, okay. And so I have a five mil arrow basically um, with the VPA broadhead on the front. And the most important thing about, um, I think, your whole arrow setup is your broadhead, like even past your bow. Um, because uh, that's what's hitting the animal, right? Um, the bow obviously makes it get there, and that's very important. But after it leaves the bow, the bow's done everything. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I think I think your arrow setup is the most important thing out of any bow, uh, any bow hunting uh, situation. You, really, I guess. Have you tried mechanical heads? I just I have, I have, yeah, I have, yeah, yeah, I have. They're right. They got their place, eh? But like some of them are just absolute garbage. I mean, like basically, if you're looking at anything with an al aluminum foil, uh, uh, furl on it, sorry, like the uh, the body of the broadhead, like don't fucking touch that shit. And I'm sorry, but I really don't like rage broadheads. They're just absolute garbage. Um, if you if you have to go uh, mechanical, and you know they'd have their place. 
I'd be going like Grim Reaper or Sever or something like there are good quality expandables out there, but um, a lot of it is just shit cheap made stuff, you know, um, unfortunately. And like, like for goats and things like that, it's fine. Like I just, you know, and I used, uh, I used some on some whitetail deer last year and they were good too, but they were Grim Reapers again. Yep. But I just, you know, I had a, my very first buck I ever shot in um, America. That was my first bow hunting trip. It was really nice. And I know I shot it good. I saw where the arrow went and I got it on film. We never found it, you know, and like that was a mechanical and I can't ever say for sure that the mechanical failed, but it's just really fucking weird um, that it, uh, you probably didn't. Yeah. So, I mean, like my whole thing, right, is like, why would you take that chance? The only reason you really need a mechanical is if you can't tune your bow properly or you have like, maybe, maybe you're new. Like I think new people, as long as you've got enough poundage, because you don't have to worry about the tuning and stuff so much, right? They do fly a bit more like your field points. But once you get into it, like my broadheads and my field points hit the same. Uh, and I'm using the big fixed blade ones too. You know what I mean? It's just uh, yeah. about about everything you do in life. You got to be like, like understand it and and do the right prep for it as well. So yeah, um, sure. And Pete's on the same kind of page. His kind of theory basically is lighter arrows get there quicker, make less noise, and you point what he says. Well, I'm just going to say, yeah, I'm just going to say that light arrows do not make less noise. They make more noise because there's more vibrations in them. Like if you have okay. a heavy arrow, he- a heavy arrow, you think about it, it's a big dampener. And so all the energy is going into the arrow uh, and getting absorbed in that weight rather than the, yeah, well, you think about it, like, uh, uh, man, I don't know, like tap something light and hollow or something heavy. You just think about the resonance that comes off it, yeah, you know, no, like it it's not sense. a, it's just a harmonics thing. Actually, um, I don't know if you listen to um, Meat Eaters podcast, but they I were do, just yeah. talking about this. Have you heard the episode? Um, can't remember what it's called, but they basically just had a dude on, and he makes broadheads, and they were talking about this and talking about the vibration, and and um, that's actually something that he was saying because you know the constant argument, light, heavy, and all the rest of it, and he was he wasn't really kind of in either camp, and he sort of basically kind of said what you said in a lot of ways because. Um, you know, the tip obviously is really what makes the difference. And it's just, it's the same in fishing, which is kind of my thing where I come from. Like yes. that hook point is everything yes. and everything that happens behind that. And people don't realize, I'll give you a quick example. When I was tournament fishing, like all my hooks are stored in foam. Like they yep. don't touch anything until they're going on. And then, you know, even like I used to crush my barbs, right? And people say, what? You crush your barbs, you're going to lose fish. Mate, I never lost fish ever, right? But the hook penetrates better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. kind of figure it's the same. There's just way too much going on with mechanical tips. And, you know, you just can't beat a super sharp, solid broad. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the thing, though, too, is, is like, again, I was talking about like shot volumes. Okay. Like I use high quality broadheads. But like if I was shooting goats all day or something like that, that would be a really fucking expensive, stupid way to do it. Right. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, I've I've dabbled with those chi- the, I've dabbled with the rip off uh, Chinese heads back in the day, and they they actually work pretty good. And for goats and small things like that, you don't really need anything else. You know what I mean? Like uh, yeah. goats aren't that tough, and and, and they they are sharp heads. the The problem that lets them down is the the structural integrity of those heads. So you usually only get one shot out of them, right? 
uh, and yep. then it's done. Where like the heads I'm using now, as long as I don't hit something really freaking hard, I can just put another edge on them and they're good to go again. Um, so um, that's, that's kind of the difference. And it's uh, the most important thing is arrow flight. Like you have to get your arrows flying nice. Um, you know, that's the whole thing is, is like, if you have, if your bow is shooting, uh, and, and like, I don't, I don't agree with the speed thing. I really don't. Like I've been up to 700 grains and God damn, do they work? They, they really work, but they are too slow. Okay. And so, okay. um, but like, I like to be about the 550 mark. I'm a little bit under that at the moment, but that's just because of the way my, my arrow build is at the moment and they're flying like lasers. They are really f just fly immaculately, you know? So I'd be stupid to change it. Like there's no point me chasing a goal that's unnecessary. Like these arrows are freaking awesome. I'm just going to leave it. I'm not going to touch it. There's no point touching it. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and, and everything I've put them through is zip. Oh, amazing through them. Like uh, they blew through the wildebeest in South Africa. Uh, they blew through warthog. One warthog I shot at lengthways and it stopped because it hit the uh, the back hip in it in the in the in the warthog. Oh. So that didn't go the whole way through, but it's for a good reason. Uh, and then um, what was the yeah the white tail deer again zipped through there. The uh, the uh, roe deer the other day zipped through there as well. I mean, it's just uh, like I think the biggest problem most people have with archery is they tinker too much. Like once you and it's for, I know it's boring, but if you find something that works, just freaking mm -hmm. stick with it and go and have fun. Like you know, like understand that setup probably. Classic one is people that change release all the time. Like you didn't give that release enough time to get you know uh, to to try it out properly, really. Or or they'll have two. Like, uh, you know, they'll have two releases and they bounce between the two releases. Don't do that. Like, just stick with one and keep practicing, man. Like, archery is not something that you're instantly good at and feels instantly good. Like, you have to work to get that perfection on it, you know. And I went for a finger release because I've done so much rifle shooting that the pressure on my finger made sense the same way through, you know. So yeah. I've just stuck with that the whole time and it's fine. So Yeah, that's and, pretty good advice, I think. People are always looking for that thing that's going to improve their shooting. And I got some bad news for you. The only <laughs> thing that's going to improve your shooting is you getting out yeah. there and shooting. <laughs> that's kind of what I like about it. But I, I, I yeah. kind of like the fact that there's no real sort of cheating. No, no, there's not. There's not at all. And like, you know, the biggest thing that I get, um, and I'm just going to look like, because I, I don't know who's going to listen to this too, but like you have a huge responsibility to be uh, honest with yourself about your own shooting capabilities um, because like, because, and especially like don't get a toy bow and go and shoot fucking cockatoos or anything like that. Like I've seen a, hor a few horrible stories about like in Australia at the moment about idiots out there with like the wrong gear, shooting the wrong animals and it gives everyone a really bad name. Uh, and yeah, like you, you don't understand how much, responsibility you as an individual have for the whole sport uh, and so like you know i feel like every year i get better another 10 meters in my distance you know and so i think i think anyone can get pretty good to 20 meters and then like you know you need you need to be grouping you need to be all your arrows touching at that at a distance for you to say that you're okay like if you're at dinner plate size at 30 meters that's not good enough Sorry, like you need to be really having your arrows kissing. Um, and then the other thing too is, is like um, 
just because you can shoot that far doesn't mean you should you know i mean like i have an episode coming out uh on friday uh in new zealand and i fuck up you'll see my shot and it's because as soon as i release the arrow exactly the same time it takes a step forward to graze and that's the problem with the distance shooting is even though i'm accurate to i i think that 50 meters ish now like it doesn't mean that i i should be shooting that far you know and i am like a human like everybody else i'm not perfect i get too confident and i get too uh comfortable with my shooting abilities okay so like everyone needs that reality slap in the face sometimes and that was for for sure mine and you you'll see we get lucky we find it because it i think it i still don't really 100 percent know i think it has the artery under the spine um we're not sure but uh yeah you'll see that and this is a good demonstration of um you know trying to trying to be honest about yourself and like you know had the deer not stepped forward it would have been perfect but it did yeah all it those things happen, and, and that's probably um, just part of it. Um, so yeah, well, my question was going to be, what advice would you give to new bow hunters? But you've actually covered that beautifully. So um, we'll wrap it up. And I'll really, what I want to ask you now is, um, so if anybody is listening to this and they're interested um, in following you or coming hunting with you, can you tell us yep. a little bit about so where they can find you, where they can follow you, and a little bit maybe even quickly about how you got involved with meat hunters yeah no worries so um you guys can find me uh, at yeah you know, if you go meat hunters on youtube uh you'll find us there we're just about to take over ten thousand subs actually which is a, a nice little uh thing to be proud of i guess and then on um instagram we are the underscore meat underscore hunters um you find us on there too um, and then if you want to come hunting in Europe or South Africa or New Zealand, actually I've got a spot in New Zealand and South Africa now too, can uh, head to uh, Miller's Bow Hunting, M-I-L-L-E-R-S, bowhunting.com, uh, and you'll find the website there. Um, but, uh, yeah, just all, all look up Tree Kiwi on Instagram too. Oh, that that's my personal one. So I'm, I'm and I'm really happy to help. Like if you're a new, like someone, oh, man, I really want to get into bow hunting, I'll put the time in to to make sure that we can get you bow hunting basically i'll give you the problem like you know uh, the thing is like with everything everyone's going to have different opinions but i'll give you my opinion on what you should start with and i'll do my best and i'll put you wrong you know so but yeah meat hunters uh we got started i went hunting with a bow in new zealand and i actually filmed a hunt on my cell phone and i was like hey this is freaking really cool um yeah i didn't end up shooting anything i missed it actually missed the goat but i was like ah, oh, i think i'm just want to start documenting my it basically started as a documentation of my uh, me learning how to bow hunt, basically. So I film my first hunts and stuff like that, you know. And um, it's it's uh, it'd be cool to go back soon and have a look at the early videos, actually, and just see how far I've come, yeah. the gear progression and stuff like that. But then I asked Flinter. I said, "Hey, Flinter, do you want to uh, join as well? Because uh, you know, I know he's an avid hunter. He's done a lot more bow hunting than me. He's very experienced." And uh, between us, we've kind of got enough content to make make it work. You know, like if it was by myself, probably couldn't put out enough content, really. I'd have to do a lot more gear review videos and stuff like that, which we're starting to do a little bit, actually, because they kind of tick over quite nicely. That's a, a commonly searched uh, thing, you know, that, that people will pop yeah. up to people. So, yeah. I think it's a good idea having that, that extra content on there. And that's, to be honest with you, that kind of what attracted me. And 
um, look, you know, I used to work on a TV show, so I got a rough idea, and I think you guys are doing an awesome job. Like, I, I really think the only thing in between you now and serious success is time. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, we had a five-year plan. Like, we put a plan together for this, and we're th- two and a half, just about three. Oh, actually, we just took over three years, I think. Uh, three years into the plan, and we're, we're doing good. So um, it's just, like, honestly – you probably know what it's like. Like I have to slap myself and just say, keep going sometimes. Um, yeah, because like sure. editing, editing, like, you know, for that last series we did on wild TV, that was like yeah. six months of editing, mate, just to get yeah. those, those done. And, and well, it's probably oh, yeah. the only bit of advice that I would give you is the fact yeah. that I would say, be careful of burnout because just from my view, like following you, watching, like I see, like you're fucking busy. Oh <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of like that as well. That you're, that you're, you know, you're out there. Like I said, you're actually doing it. But yeah, just be careful that you, you don't kind of burn out. And and the other thing, a bit of advice I'd give you is like, you know, make sure that you keep control because I won't go into it. But one of the mistakes that I made, especially when I started my second magazine shit was going crazy and I went from like nothing to like all of a sudden I've got one of the highest selling mags in Australia and I got people wanting to throw cash at me and, <laughs> yeah. and what happened was it actually grew too fast too quick and that's what oh, fucked yeah. it yeah and I let I let go some of the control to other people and then they came in saying they would do certain jobs and basically they just never did what they said they were going to do right and then it comes to a point right where you become one and they become three right yes and yes. then we, we know where that ends up. So, yeah. But oh, yeah. I think, honestly, man, you know what you're doing. And I'm, I'm loving following the journey. Um, and I really look forward to uh, all the content that you come. And this is going to sound like a line, but I can guarantee you that it's not. But maybe next year, but if not next year, but definitely the year after, my ass is going to be in Europe because there's boxes i got to tick over there. So, yeah, at yeah, some man. point, I'm, I'm hoping that we can um, hook up and, and 100%, for dude. For yeah, fish. yeah, 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 100%, man. I would that, love that. Sounds that. good. Well, the, the, I mean, we've got, I've got obviously options in Finland for whitetail and stuff too, so we can do whatever. Uh, they do have, uh, in Latvia, they actually have a lot of freshwater fish in the ponds. Like they have those big, yes. um, big water bits for the animals and stuff, and they have it just absolutely jam packed full of fish to try and control all the algae and the weed and stuff like that down there. And it's big carp and massive perch and uh pike well, and fin- sturgeon. Finland's and... like that too. They're pretty good. There's a park called um I'm gonna say it wrong, but Hem or Hammenstool Park. I don't know. And it's actually, a whole yeah. like park set up just around like fishing. There's a bunch of lakes oh, yeah. and rivers there and it's all basically set up as like, you know, outdoor touristy kind of stuff and yeah, that's that's my jam for sure. Yeah, nice. Yeah, man, that'd be cool. Hey, I've really freaking enjoyed this, dude. It's it's man, been I was easy. I can say this is one of the best chats I've ever had. And the funny thing is, right, I've been wanting to do this for the last <laughs> two or three years, but I kind of yeah. knew, right? I kind of the universe was telling me just wait, wait don't just fucking chill. rush it, just <laughs> let him do his thing. Because the other thing is, I knew, you know, you you've had a lot on and every time I kind of, we go to, we've been close to like teeing this up a few times and then yep. something happens. And then, you know, obviously when you left expansive worlds, I was like, right, just don't bug him for a while because uh, I knew, yeah. you know, you need a certain amount of time to like, yeah, but I, I, this has been one of the best chats I've had for sure. Yeah, and, no, it's um, been good. I, really I mean, like forward it's, to it. it's nearly two hours now and it feels like, Yes. Not even 30 minutes. It's been that's good, how so. you know it was, that's how you know it was good. Cause I've recorded a few of these so far and, 
some of them have been pretty good um, because what I'm trying to do is like people that I know, and even though I, that you and I kind of knew each other, we never really spoken that much before. No, yeah, yeah. And it's Correct. very hard to you know get that like. That's the good thing I like about Rogan is that it, you know it's not really interview; it's more just like two dudes sitting down having a chat, and I think that's how you get the best content. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. So, All right, it's man. Been, it's been, been awesome. Trouble. I can't thank you enough because you are superstar tree kiwi, <laughs> and I I'm nobody, not. right? And I, I am think not. I'm nobody. No, I think that speaks volumes for you. Uh, I, I think it says a lot about your character, the fact that you gave me the time. The other thing which I was going to say real quick, you know, when you left Expansive Worlds, I thought to myself, that fucking tells me a bit about this guy, right? Because most people wouldn't leave that job for quids, man. But you you knew it was my it was time. The, it was your it was time, time. And yep. you weren't, it wasn't about ego. It was just about doing what's right for you. And I think that says a lot about your character. Oh, thank you very much, dude. I appreciate it. It's been uh, think- uh, Expansive Worlds is a great place to work, and, and I had a great time there. I learned so much stuff, but it was definitely t- my time to uh, try and try and cut my own cloth, so to speak. So, for sure. Yeah. All right, man. That's, let's wrap it up. And uh, yeah, thanks again. I'll put all that info about where the people uh, can find you in the description. And um, yeah, thanks again, man. I really appreciate it, and uh, we will talk soon. Perfect, man. Cheers, dude. Thank you. What the what the supremacy? Intense chemistry. They expect the list when we sound the list. What's the supremacy? Intense chemistry. Best be aware. What the what the supremacy? Supremacy. Intense chemistry. What's the supremacy? Intense chemistry. Best be aware. New blood starting to drip. What's the supremacy? Intense chemistry. They expect the list when we sound the list. What's the Intense chemistry. Best be aware, new blood's starting to drip.